We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Coming up this hour, is it time for churches to begin starting their own schools? And then hope springs eternal. Today is opening day. You're listening to The Common Good. friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Happy Thursday, Aubrey. You told me it feels like this week's gone really fast. Don't know why that is, but I hey. I don't either. I just can't believe like tomorrow morning is Friday. I don't know why. I just feel I, like it has flown, but I like it. I'll take it. That is how it works. Today's Thursday. Tomorrow morning is Friday. So <laughs> That's that how the calendar the, works, Aubrey. Right. The progression. Each day we're getting closer and closer to Easter. So looking forward to that. We'll talk a lot about Easter uh, next week, but hopefully you're mm-hmm. getting prepared for that. You're you're getting ready to go to church and do some family time. We're looking forward to Easter next week. Uh, Aubrey, I do want to highlight one difficult story, and then we'll jump into the conversation we're going to have. Just saw this over Christian headlines. Ukrainian seminary dean killed by Russian soldiers. He mm. was a Christian leader and a dear brother. I saw mm. this report in a couple different places, but the Awful. dean of the seminary in the Ukraine You and I have talked about how there's a strong evangelical presence in the Ukraine. Uh, I believe somebody came on and said it's it's the strongest evangelical church, uh, country in country that whole in region. Europe. Someone we interviewed did say that. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that was a little surprising to me. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and just so continue to pray for the Ukraine. I mean, it is to see, mm. I, and not one death is more important than the other or more tragic. And you just see the footage now over yeah. and over again, and it just being so tragic. But now you read the dean, one of the theological mm. leaders of the mm. country of Ukraine was ran randomly killed. He was in mm. his apartment and the Russian soldiers came, as you've been reading and hearing, uh, and randomly killing men and, uh, and women and children. But particularly they're they're targeting men so that yeah. they can't go and serve in the military. Right. And right. I, I don't have much more to say, Aubrey, than to say we've got to continue praying for the country, for the leaders, President Zelensky, but also for the church and the seminary and all of these people. Uh, the, uh, they must be top of our prayer list right now. Yeah, I think absolutely. If we're we're going about our lives and forgetting that this is happening, like, honestly, shame on us. Like we just Mm. need to put it in our journals, put it in our phones and just remember to like intercede on behalf of the Ukrainian people. And uh, I I think stories like this, you know, because you're right. No, of course, no death is like worse than another. But what it does is it it paints a more vivid picture of like these are real people with real lives and real influence and real friendships and and making a difference for Jesus over there. And so, of course, this is a devastating loss. And I, you know, evil. I mean, it's just evil. And so we have to continue, continue praying that God's will would be done and this would end soon. That's right. That's right. You're seeing reports of the Russian troops fleeing, and you just hope that that's true. And this eventually comes to uh, an end. All right. You and I have also been talking a lot this week 
about the cultural wins. I don't know how else to say it, but particularly around our schools, it has a lot to do with the debates around the quote unquote, don't say gay bill down in Florida, but just a lot going on with our schools, particularly around sexuality. And if you've Mm -hmm. missed any of those conversations we've had this week, we'd encourage you to go get the podcast uh, and you can hear kind of Aubrey and I's thoughts and our wrestling as parents, like what do we do right now yeah. and as pastors and as churches? But Aubrey, yeah. with that in mind, I found this very interesting. And these are two people that you hear regularly here on AM 1160. Uh, Pastor John MacArthur, he's saying it's time for Christians to, quote, get serious about educating children in a fast changing world. California Pastor John MacArthur said during a recent interview, a recent conference that his church is launching two elementary schools this fall. They're going to call the schools Grace Academy, and they're going to be hybrid schools with 14 hours per week of in-class instruction and 16 hours a week at at at-home homeschool instruction. He went on to say, we desperately have to capture this young generation. You Mm -hmm. can't just throw them to the educational system. I think parents are now saying, look, we have the responsibility as parents. We can't just turn these kids over to anything. And then David Jeremiah, another prominent California pastor, made similar comments last year saying that it's time to, quote, rethink Christian education. John Mm. MacArthur was also quoted as saying something you and I have been saying, that the ground is moving within the culture, that things are changing. And so, uh, Aubrey, you and I have debated this. We've not debated it, but just wrestled with it together. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, my personal first inclination is, ah, that feels too far. Like, are we doing this? Do churches need to, is this really, but I'm closer and closer now to going, yeah, this is kind of something churches need to be thinking about. Hmm. If you have the resources to do it, this is something that maybe we need to start taking seriously. Uh, You've, I've talked to you about, even my wife and I have talked about, you know, is it time to move our kids to a Christian school? And what's the, what's the kind of the ramifications of that? Right. So as you hear about what John and John MacArthur, David Jeremiah, we know tend to be much more conservative Mm -hmm. than maybe yourself and I, and you know, and whatever else, but I see that where this is coming from is what I would say. What do you think about them saying, hey, maybe it's time for churches to start starting their own schools? Yeah, I mean, I certainly can see the instinct and I can certainly um, see that this will happen probably more and more, especially Mm -hmm. as the the public schools, um, you know, begin to do more of the the gender identity teaching at an early age. So I, I mean, yeah, I can understand why there's this call for this. I do continue to wrestle with though. I'm not sure that any school bears the weight of responsibility for like discipling our kids. And Mm -hmm. so that's my only, you know, I still think whether, you know, you've decided with your, you know, if you have a spouse with your spouse before God to put your kids in public school to homeschool or to private school, Christian school, whatever you decide is best for your family and your community, we still have to be having these conversations at home. Like we're the ones responsible for discipling, educating, and getting our kids to think with nuance about some of these things they're being taught in school, specifically in public school. So I'm not sure that that is a primary motivator in, in my mind. Like, pull them out because you can't just turn them loose in a school. Even a Christian school, I don't think you can turn them loose in because there are things in Christian schools that maybe they shouldn't be hearing. Yeah. 
that said, I mean, I, I guess I could see both sides of it. That said, I could see why, like, no, we don't want our kids indoctrinated in some of these things, especially yeah. at an early age. So we're going to do something different and the church going to offer that alternative. So I yeah. could see, I, I could, you could probably argue me both ways and I could argue both ways, honestly, Brian. That's right. Uh, to your point, I was talking to a friend yesterday uh, and we were talking about this exact issue and he said, uh, he's got friends who put their kids into a local Christian school that I won't name. Mm-hmm. They have since pulled those kids because they were so uncomfortable with some of the peer groups their kids had gotten into in those schools. And yeah, so, exactly. exactly. So I, I think you make a very valid point. Let's be very careful when we say Christian schools good, public schools bad, yeah, yeah. and it's going to take care of all the issues. Now, what would you say, parents listening with young kids, teenagers yeah. who are worried right now, but they're yeah. like, you know what? I don't have the option other than to keep my kid in the public schools. Yeah. Uh, just what is words of wisdom, whether it be about knowing what your kids are learning mm-hmm. or talking to your kids? How, how, you, how are you and Kevin doing this? And mm-hmm. what would you say to parents right now? It's funny. I was actually praying about this this morning because our kids, all three of our kids are in public school and we're pretty, you know, we're pretty committed to that. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying if the Lord moves us, we'll move. But um, I, and part of it is I don't think all the Christians should leave the public school. Like we Mm -hmm. need lights in the schools. We need salt in the public schools. So that's part of it. Um, But I I just think we have to be talking with our kids. We need to be involved with the teachers, with the curriculum, know what's being taught. Mm -hmm. We can, we can advocate for our kids and say, I want my kid pulled out in those sessions. I don't want them learning that. I'm going to take them home. They're going to do homeschool during that part of the day, or Mm. I want them to do some private, you know, you. You, you you have that agency. I think to trust that like the Lord is in the private schools or in the public schools and God, God's will will not not be done. And so you can pray over your schools, do some mm-hmm. spiritual warfare over your schools and then just keep those lines of communication open. Like you be the one that is telling your kids what God's word says about identity and sexuality. You be the one that's having those conversations so you can help your kid navigate and learn to discern what's true and what's not true. It's a good word. These culture winds, as we've been saying over the last couple of days, uh, are picking up. They're uh, shifting to, quickly. Yes. It feels like to like hurricane category two, yeah, three and growing level mm-hmm. right now. And I parents have to wrestle with these things, I think, more than ever. So I think you make uh, a lot of good points. Be informed is one of the major yeah. points right yeah. now. Be active and keep the line of communication open with your kids but also with their schools, private or public, know what's going on in your kids' schools. Aubrey, today in the calendar, so not this specific day, you know, being April 7th, but but this day is one of, like, it's up there for me with Christmas, with Thanksgiving. (laughs) Sure. With uh, whatever, 4th of July, any things we celebrate. And people are looking at their calendars going, what am I missing right now? I thought Easter's in like 10 days on a Sunday. Is it free donut day at Dunkin' Donuts? Oh, That could make this a better day if it was. (laughs) Here's the day today, Aubrey. It's opening day. Major League Baseball. Baseball! Add on top of that today, it is the first round of the Masters. What? And it is... It is sports nirvana today. It is uh, no work is getting done in Man, my life today. Golf and baseball in one day, Brian. This is like your this is like your Oscar night for me. Sure, <laughs> yes, yes, very uh, exciting. It, it, 
It is. I here's in all honesty, I love opening day. I've always loved opening day. I yeah. remember when I was younger trying to stay home from school on opening day. Stop it. Are you because serious? I love here's Aww. a couple reasons why I love opening okay, day. Okay, let's hear it. Uh one it means springtime is coming. I know it doesn't okay. feel like it here. The people at Wrigley Field today uh, and in other – there's literally games across the country snowed out today. Like, I get it. It's not 80 oh, degrees. Oh, sad. That's so sad. But we know that when baseball season starts, it's going to get nice. Like, it's coming. It's coming. Uh, yeah. I understand. I went to opening day a couple times. One year, I can remember 20 years ago, I went to opening day with my brother-in-laws at Wrigley, and it yeah. snowed. Like, I understand. Are you serious? Yes. That's so it doesn't mean that spring is here, but it means spring is coming. Mm. You can see in the f- near future wearing shorts and sitting at the ballpark. I love baseball. My Very son and I exciting. go to baseball games all the time. I love baseball. So that's oh, I'm one. I'm so excited for you. Spring is coming. For me, again, with my son, we watch Mets games. That's what we do through the summer. Fun. I've raised him as a Mets fan like I am. And so today, him and I are like, I can't wait. We're going to watch the game. Uh, literally, <laughs> I, wo- I woke him up singing Meet the Mets this morning. You did not. You I did not. I most definitely Ryan, did. I'm so excited for you. So I love, love baseball but Aubrey there's this saying that I told you has to do with baseball and you said uh that's from a famous poem that's a poem <laughs> but there is a famous saying that especially cub fans have used through the years especially before they actually won the world series in 16 and that is this one of the beautiful things about baseball is that hope springs eternal mm. uh, you start the season 0 and 0 Every team starts in the same spot. The season is a blank canvas. And, gotcha. you know, for some teams, two weeks from now, they're going to go, oh, our season's pretty much done. But <laughs> you, the hope is your team plays into September and October. Yeah. And this, that. And so hope springs eternal. So let me start here. Aubrey, are you as excited as me about it being opening day? Did you even know today was opening day? I mean... I am excited for you. Like I like I feel your excitement through the microphone. I see the smile on your face. So I am like I am so excited for your excitement. I'm if it I'm trying to relate this like okay like the next Marvel movie that comes out, my son That's and it. I are getting ready to buy the tickets. I'll probably let him stay home from school. We'll go to an early showing. We'll, you know, like so that excitement I can I can get behind. It's a little more short lived because you see it once and then you know maybe see it again. It's not this whole season, but like yes, I get that excitement. Did I know it was opening? <laughs> Day. Day? Um, <laughs> no. I'll just I'll just won't answer that question. No, maybe you that's did not. an answer now. But I'm for it, Brian. I'm not you against are, it. You are I'm pro opening it. day. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so I do want to talk about the concept of hope, but let me also tell you, and I need our listeners to go to the web to go to I don't know what how do you watch old episodes of the Today Show? Today.com probably. Oh yeah, you you have to you have to tell people this. This is so funny. People fun. may not be aware of this, but our former producer producer John Benedek is one of the two organists at Wrigley Field. Yes. He is phenomenal. Yes. Uh, and uh, Aubrey, like uh, you just listened to him. And you're like, this is the cool thing. John was on the Today Show this morning. Uh, they they had him playing while Al Roker was giving the weather forecast. And John's killing it, right? He's playing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. You can That's see so him cool. on the screen. Then Savannah Guthrie goes, 
oh, it'd be fun if he could play Freebird. John immediately starts going into Freebird, and the, what, the the studio went nuts. And then they're about to close, and they go, "I'll bet you, wouldn't it be fun if he brought us out in like the Star Wars theme?" And all of a sudden, you hear, "Done, done." done. John killed it, and so it was like this proud moment. That's You're like, "That's so our former cool. producer." I'm Aww. texting with them. I'm like, "You killed it, man! Way to That's go!" Our guy. If you missed it, it was at like so. If the Today Show starts at seven o'clock, it was at seven forty. So I'd encourage people go let me just to say too show. if you want to find him on social media he is just dot john b just dot yeah. john b find him on instagram follow him he puts some of his music up there on the organs very 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 fun so we're thrilled for him and it's one of the things you love about baseball being at wrigley field and the organist going that's john benedict doing that so really proud of him and fun okay aubrey hope springs eternal there are people out there let's get pastoral about this who really do struggle with the concept of hope mm. Uh, but I would say the idea of hope, which is what Easter is about on many levels, uh, hope is vitally important. There were studies done uh, decades, generations ago around what, what what differentiated people who survived the Holocaust and those mm. who didn't. Wow. Uh, and wow. the answer, uh, I would encourage people to Google it. It's powerful. The answer is hope. When people lost hope uh, in the concentration camps, they died quickly. Yeah. But when people somehow in the darkest moments were able to hang on to some shred of hope. Yeah. They survived and they made it through the unbelievable worst things you could ever imagine and eventually got out of the concentration camps. So Aubrey, Mm -hmm. COVID, uh, job losses, health issues, whatever else it might be. There are people right now struggling to have any shred of hope. Pastorally, Mm -hmm. as Christ followers, uh, help us understand, ultimately, how do we have hope in this world? Yeah, I mean, you know, for the Christian, our hope is really not about like things, our hope is in the object of our hope, and that's Jesus. And so when we can put our hope in one, the the power of uh, the the cross and the resurrection, um, the saving power, and then also what we talk about a lot on the show is the one day return when all things will be made new. Like Jesus is our hope. Jesus mm-hmm. is like all we long for, all we hope for, all we're putting our trust in is embodied in Jesus himself. And so he's really, he's the object of our hope. But what I love about God is even, even with uh, opening day. Like, I love that God also, you know, blesses humanity with like these fun, hopeful things to look yeah. forward to. And they, they feel like they could be mundane. They feel like they could mean nothing, but it's actually very meaningful that there's something like an opening day to get excited mm-hmm. for that. There's mm-hmm. something like a Marvel movie to get excited for that. There's something like, you know, my daffodils are starting to bloom. Like I can see them coming up. My beautiful iris is about to open. Like there is something so wonderful about a God who not only gives us eternal hope, but also day-to-day moments where we experience hope in just these like traditions or the seasons. Like uh, what a good God he is. And so Mm. I think sometimes if, even if you can't feel deep down that like hope in Christ, begin to ask God to open your eyes for little moments of hope throughout your day, things that are, you know, bright spots, and then begin to ask God to move that to hope in Christ. And Mm -hmm. I I think God wants that for us. And God will help open our eyes to the hope that he's, he's really revealing all around us all the time. 
Amen. And that's the, that's the anchor. Uh, our hope is ultimately anchored in the empty tomb that we're going to celebrate Amen. here yeah. in 10 days. That's right. Easter is a message of hope uh, and, and want to encourage you in that way. Aubrey, I have two words for you that will give you hope today and will will cheer up your day. You ready for it? Uh, I'm ready. Play ball. Play <laughs> ball. Opening day, the Masters, all of it. I couldn't be more excited. Constant through all the years, Ray in baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. We're on social media. We're about to read some of our social media replies. So our social media this. water cooler, but you can find us on uh, social media's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Before we spend some time around the water cooler, though, let me remind you of something going on here at AM 1160. Cause in these uncertain times, it really can be hard to live with certainty. Mm. In his book, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, Dr. David Jeremiah provides a biblical roadmap to living in certainty. During the month of April, you can enter to win a copy of this book, along with unshakable confidence cards. What are those? Well, those are 10 challenges to remind us to find confidence in our Heavenly Father and stay focused on Him. And one grand prize winner will win a signed, leather-bound Jeremiah Study Bible. Cool. Everyone who enters will receive the April issue of Turning Points Devotional Magazine and an instant ebook download of the seven signs of Easter, evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. So you get something just by entering. Here's how you enter. Enter today at 1160hope.com slash confidence. That's 1160hope.com slash confidence. And make sure to listen to Turning Point with David Jeremiah every weekday morning at 930 right here on AM 1160. So good stuff there from Dr. David Jeremiah. Okay. Social media water cooler. So excited. Uh, Here was essentially the question. Tell us about a time when you randomly uh, ran into a celebrity. So a uh, so not like you were going to an event to see this celebrity or I was going to this autograph signing or this lecture, but you randomly you were getting into the elevator. You yes. were crossing the street. You were at a restaurant and boom, this person was there. So, Aubrey, this started. You and I both have stories. So why don't you tell your story first? Because okay. it's kind of started it. So tell your story yeah. and then we'll read some uh, some from some of our listeners. Okay, I'll tell you my story. I'll tell you Kevin's real quick because it's funny. Kevin was taking his mom out to a tea at the Drake Hotel that used to do these fancy teas. Fun. An elevator opened. John Cusack, the you know Chicago actor, oh, was, sure. was in the elevator, and Kevin just went John Cusack, John Cusack, John Cusack, <laughs> and then the elevator closed. That's his story. <laughs> like, why did you do that? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. That just happened. <laughs> so, how old uh, was he? How old uh, was young? Kevin? I mean, you know, young enough that like that was okay, but maybe old enough that it wasn't. Also, that's really funny. Um, okay, so mine is a good one. I twenty first birthday, my parents took me to New York City to celebrate, and we were seeing a series 
series of Broadway shows. And one of the shows we saw was a play. It wasn't a musical. It was a play called Art that I had been longing to see. And the lights dimmed. Somebody comes, like, rushing into the theater, sits down. The lights go up. Curtains open. Play starts. I look sits over. Sits down next to sits you. Sits down next to me. Sorry, I didn't clarify that. Sits down okay. next to me. And there were, like, three people, but they all sat down next to me. I look over, and I am sitting right beside Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. The I am, yeah. So my mom is there. My mom's like nudging me, like, oh, do you know who that is? I'm like, yes, of course I know who that is. And like the whole play, I was like, he's laughing at the same things I am. Look at how big his hands are. Like, I just could not. I mean, I, and then the play ended, curtains closed, lights went down, Michael Jordan and his entourage left. And then they uh, turned the lights on, let everybody else leave. So he was in and out like that. There was no, I mean, he wasn't mingling with people. He wasn't oh, signing sure. autographs. Afterwards, you could see his car and people were gathered around it, like outside of theaters, a small theater in New York. But um, that was that was a great birthday present on my 21st so birthday. So that's probably 98, 99, uh, Yeah. Let's see. I was 21. So probably 99, actually. Yeah. yeah 99. That's, yep. that's fascinating. That's know, really cool. That yeah. You read stories of Michael Jordan. They used to like shut down movie theaters for him so he could go to the movies and I mean, not I be around it. anyone else. Yeah, I believe uh, it. There was another famous basketball player. I forget who it was. Who He would go grocery shopping after hours. They'd keep the grocery store oh, open so he could go. Wow. So that's a weird fishbowl experience. I don't but that's think not I would what, like that. I don't think so. But that's not what we're doing. Just talk about Michael Jordan. We're instead talking about people yeah. who have come. Okay, so you have a funny story, so I want to hear I'll yours. I'll end with that. Go ahead oh, and do okay. give us some okay. of our give us some of our so, listeners. What was interesting to me is the amount of people that met royalty. So a friend of mine named Jeremy Wance met uh, Prince Edward and Sophie. He said, I was in a Vienna wine garden. I leaned over and I said, you look like Prince Edward. I had, after all, consumed plenty of wine. And then he said, (laughs) and Prince Edward responded, I'm awfully glad to hear it. (laughs) I thought that was good. Uh, Several people met Michael W. Smith at various concerts. Someone is Taylor Lautner's aunt. So she's known Taylor Lautner since he was one. Um, Somebody did a workout class with Aaron Andrews. Another person saw Arnold Palmer on the Arnold Palmer and Mike Shanahan of the Denver Denver Broncos coach the same day on the same nice. beach. That was kind of fun. Um, let's see. There's some other really good ones. Somebody saw LL Cool J at a car wash. Um, <laughs> That's the essence of the story right there. I know. I know. Um, somebody, Marcus Brown, uh, he from Salem, he saw Hel- Hillary Clinton at a random press conference right after she was elected to the state. Somebody else commented that um, she met Elvis. Didn't say why, but I thought that would... Another person met another royalty, Prince Andrew. Kind of fun. Uh, Somebody walked past Colin Firth in London. Um, Somebody else attended Scottie Pippen's going away party and also Dennis Rodman's going away party. So I'm like, who is this person and how did you get invited to all of these things? That's interesting. Okay, here's a good one. This is a friend of mine who lives in Malibu, California. She says, being in Malibu for over a decade, I have a lot. But here are two of my favorites. I was laying out on the beach almost asleep and overweight Doberman plopped down on my towel with me. I was so happy to get a pup snuggle and I hear a man say, oh, I'm sorry. And I look up and it's Pierce Brosnan. Nice. I, kept, I kept petting the dog and we talked for a bit. The next day is the only celebrity I've ever been awestruck by. I was in a frozen yogurt shop in college, which celebrities often frequented. But one day, Carrie 
Gary Elways. Yes, the dead pirate Roberts came in, and I couldn't even speak. <laughs> All right, let me tell one. you my story, and then we'll end. Picked out the most famous or most or your best story from the replies for, that we'll end with. But here's my story. Okay. I was in college. Oh, I was working for Testaments. Remember, I, I told you my story. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm driving in Washington D.C. And have you ever driven in Washington, D.C.? It is the worst experience uh, ever. I have been to Washington, D.C. I don't think I've driven there. No. It's like a wheel with many. It doesn't make sense. It's not laid out like Chicago. And I am driving, Aubrey, and I'm looking. I'm kind of not paying attention. And I'm about to run into the blockade to, like, the White House. Like, that's where I am. I'm not going to be able to go any further. And I'm driving, and I end up needing to slam my brakes on so that I don't run into this group of people walking in the um the crosswalk okay, okay. so you got okay. this group of people walk across cross, crosswalk i'm a little distracted i slam on my brakes and i look up and lock eyes with you ready ready sherman hemsley otherwise known as george jefferson no way moving and on he, up exactly george jefferson yeah yes and he is walking like george jefferson no. You remember how he had that walk where he'd kind of lean back? Yeah. That's how he's walking. He looks, he stops, we lock eyes, he has this big grin, and he just throws up a peace sign. No. And then continues George Jefferson walking. walking away. Is- and I go, I was like, that, that was that was George Jefferson. <laughs> it was awesome. That is a fantastic story. That's All right, tell really, us really one more one. as we close okay, this out. This one, I mean, there are so many good ones, but this one is one of my favorites. By the way, our producer, Keith Conrad, executive producer, uh, met, uh, ran into Yal- Weird Al Yankovic. I thought that was a good Perfect. one. But here's the best nice. one. This is from a friend from grad school. My mom and I got pushed to the side. I'm not going to say who yet. By someone while we were walking through a Walmart. We were just trying to run errands. She got pushed to the side by Snoop Dogg's entourage <laughs> at a Walmart. That's awesome. I'd love to, I actually don't want to know what Snoop Dogg was buying at a Walmart. That's yeah, for good, sure. Good point. <laughs> so thank you to all of you who replied. We'll put up another one next week. You mm-hmm. can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Uh, Aubrey, one of the difficult things for all of us as Christ followers is, you know, processing pain, processing struggling yeah. and suffering. But also when the verses that we read in the Bible don't feel like they match up with what's going on in our lives. So yes. sometimes the issue is all the time. I would say most of the time, if not all the time, the issue is understanding what that verse actually means and what it's yeah. saying. Yeah. Uh, it's been used in improper ways. People have said things to us. Uh, and yes. one of those verses uh, out of the book of Romans is that God works all things together for good, for our mm. good, for his good. God works all things uh, out of the book of Romans. And oftentimes, and I'm going to talk about this blog post, Tim Challies writes about this, but I'd love just your thoughts on this, because I think the, the way this has been used, that what makes this verse so difficult is... I'm not going through good stuff right now. Mm. I Somebody has lost a loved one. They yeah. got COVID. They've lost their job. And that verse then becomes a, a way that it gets used flippantly. As Aubrey, you tell me you're going through a real hard time right now. And I, and I say, hey, Aubrey, don't worry. God, <laughs> God works all things <laughs> for good. Yeah. And you sit there going, well, I, I would... 
I suppose that's hopeful, but I would actually prefer not to be going through what I'm going through right, right. now. It definitely doesn't feel that way right now. And yeah. I don't quite understand how the mm. loss of a loved one could be in any way good. Yeah. And so we begin, it begins having an opposite effect of going, mm. no, 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 that actually makes me mad at God. That makes me angry at my situation. So how have you seen that verse used and how do we help people process what that verse actually is saying? Yeah, I mean, I guess I've seen that verse used the way you're saying, like the assumption that that means all things uh, being worked out for good. I think we assume that means like we'll have a life full of no problems, like it will be up and to the right all the time. And so then, of course, when life isn't because life isn't, period, Mm. That causes us to question not our interpretation of that scripture, but God himself. And the reality is, I mean, we see in scripture all the time. Like, I, I, I think a great example of this is the, the saw, one of the psalmists is praising God, saying, God, you make my paths straight. But then we read in Lamentations, Jeremiah says, God, you have made my paths crooked. And so I think we we have to we have to understand that in our relationship with the Lord what what we think of as good is not the same as what God may consider good and what we don't have is God's perspective that totally sovereign outside of time perspective where God knows like the final story and God can see how all things are working together and God is orchestrating things for good. But in our limited perspective, uh, trials that we face or death, difficulty, suffering, that does not feel good. And so to, I guess to unpack this verse, like God working all things for good for those who love him and live according to his purposes, this is not... um, this is not meaning like a pain-free life. Yeah. It's that hope of one day. Like mm. all of these things God is somehow working out to make us more like Jesus and to experience more of God's presence. And ultimately, that's what's good. That's what God defines as good, is us becoming more like Jesus, us knowing Jesus more. And oftentimes, I mean, this is just the reality of life and the reality of the scriptures. It is through pain and suffering that we experience Christ-likeness and God's yeah. intimacy. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'll, I'll, the reason that I brought up the lamentation in the psalm is because I do think sometimes we don't know that we have permission to go, God, you say you're going to make all things turn out for good, and this does not feel good. This is not good. But, yeah. but God, actually, when we see biblical writers invite us to do that, and God invites us to do that, to come to him in those things. God, you're not being who you said you were. You're not doing what you said you were going to do. And that is actually an act of intimacy and trust and and an uh, invitation deeper into trusting God when we pour out our hearts mm. to him like that, when things don't feel good. But um, it is, you know, it can be used flippantly, but the reality is that invitation for good is to see good as God sees good. Mm, well put. And Tim Challies, who we've quoted a couple times this week. Uh, I just love his blogs, challies.com, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S. And Aubrey, one reason I want to listen to him on this is, as we said last time we uh, talked about his blog post, he lost his son tragically. Yeah, he knows that's not good. He knows what it is to not feel good, yes. Within the last year or two, he had a son who was about to graduate college just unexpectedly pass away, like not in Mm -hmm. an accident, Mm -hmm. not from anything, just 
died. And how do you process that? How does your faith continue? Where do you find hope? He writes this. He said, yet all things work together for good necessarily assumes that some things won't feel good, that some things won't look good, that some things won't strike us as immediately and obviously good. It assumes that we will sometimes wonder how a particular circumstance could possibly prove anything other than evil. He goes on to talk about how if this verse had been written in the Garden of Eden or the New Jerusalem, he says, of course, all things work for good because all things are good. Likewise, God will have a little need to reiterate it when we are standing on the streets of gold and all pain, evil and sorrow has been vanquished. He says all things for good is a promise God's people must take by faith and cling to with tenacity in times of great difficulty. We need to believe that God has the ability to work all things for good and to trust that he actually is working all things for good. We need to have confidence that he's doing what's right and best according to his inscrutable wisdom. Uh, And he goes on to say, we need to depend on it, bank all that we've got on it, go all in for Mm. it. We need to set aside our feelings and by faith, submit them to the truth Mm. of God's promises. All right. Difficult $64,000 question, Aubrey. Yeah. How do we do this? <laughs> Person's life is crumbling. They I'm hear that you. verse. Yeah. They're crumbling. I know I, I, we don't want to be flippant about it and the yeah. pain of this world. How in the world do we even begin down this path? So I wrote a little book on this called The Louder Song, Listening for Hope in the Midst of Lament. And there are lots of ways that we can go about it. But I think the biggest thing is to have so in seasons like that right when you i mean you hit that that demarcation in your life when suddenly your life is such a different thing than it once was for whatever reason it really is this watershed moment where you say either i'm running away from god because god is not who god said he was god is not doing the things i thought he was or it you lean into god like never before and mm. you like i mean this is one of those things where you're like Lord, I don't believe, but help my, un- or Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Like mm-hmm. you are like, I mean, every day in submission and surrender, clinging to God. And this is where it becomes not about feelings, but where you're like choosing faith. And I also think this is where the communal aspect of our faith is so important. We have to borrow faith from other people. and We don't have mm-hmm. it for ourselves. So that might mean listening to like an encouraging pastor. That might mean listening to a podcast. That might mean reading scripture, especially the Lamentations, those who have the lamenters who have suffered and been through what you've been through, but clung to hope. Like we can borrow their faith and in so doing ask that God would show up and meet us and open our eyes to see him in those dark, dark times. Mm. But it really is. It becomes, I think the difference between like a, like an immature faith and a very mature faith where you are saying, no matter what, I am going to cling to the God that I love until he shows up again sort of like it's sort of like jacob saying like i will not go unless you bless me it's kind of that like i am going to wrestle and stay here until i experience god again and that is true powerful faith and god will show up with his grace in that Amen. Chalice ends his blog post this way. Through every circumstance, this promise calls us to believe that a day will come when we will affirm his every decision and marvel at his wisdom in our every trial. Mm. It calls us to trust that our sovereign God is the good composer and skilled conductor who is orchestrating all events so they lead ultimately to his glory and for our good. That is so hard to live out in the yeah. already not yet in the this time, but hopefully uh, that 
gives you, if your life is crumbling around you, if things are hard, hopefully that gives you a little bit of hope. And we are thrilled to be joined by Dr. Sandra Morgan. Dr. Morgan is the director for the Global Center of Women and Justice at Vanguard University. She's also recognized globally as a leader in the fight against human trafficking. She hosts the Ending Human Trafficking podcast, and she also served by presidential appointment on the Public-Private Partnership Advisory Council to End Human Trafficking. That is a mouthful, Dr. Morgan, but thank you so much for being here to talk about your brand new book, Ending Human Trafficking. We're so glad you're with us today. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to have this conversation. Um, Sandy, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a mom, a minister, lived overseas as a missionary for many years, um, a registered nurse, and I wrote, uh, before this, I wrote a Greek cookbook. Oh, that's awesome. Ah. I love <laughs> Good that. for you. We were joking off air. The number of things that you do, I'm, I'm like starting to think I need to add some stuff <laughs> yeah, to my life here, so I appreciate that. Sandy. <laughs> See, Sandy, such an important topic, and we really appreciate you coming on to talk about human trafficking and particularly ending uh, human trafficking. Uh, we joked before, like to try to define human trafficking is way too big. But what don't we understand? Help our people at a 30,000 foot level try to understand the enormity of the problem of human trafficking. Um, I think what we don't understand is how based it is in economics. Trafficking, you know about it's illegal to traffic weapons or drugs. And in the same way, it's illegal to traffic people. But all three of those trafficking um, business uh, plans, yeah. literally, are about making money. So the bottom line is it's an economic crime based on exploitation and it is fueled by greed. Mm. And we all know what mm. the Bible says about that. Yeah, that's, that's right. exactly right. And Sandy, we, ha we have a lot of church pastors, ministry leaders that listen to this show. Uh, talk to us about, I guess, I guess, a couple of things. One, why should this issue matter so much to Christians? And then two, what does this book offer specifically for you know churches or ministry leaders? Well, I think it matters to Christians because we believe that every human being is created in God's image, that's Imago right. Dei. And, and really, that's a hard thing to wrap your, your mind around and your heart, because it's pretty easy to care about the victims. It is not so easy to care about the perpetrators. Mm, yeah. It's not so easy to look at some of the vulnerabilities of people that are just not fun to work with. Yeah. And mm. then the second part of your question, say that part again. Yeah, I, I probably shouldn't have thrown two questions at you at once. What, for our ministry leaders and churches, what, yes. how does this book help equip us to, I guess, care about the issue and fight against human trafficking? Oh, well, and I think the caring about the issue part is easy. Finding your place in it is much harder. And many times there are people in your church that um, show up and they met somebody at a conference, uh, a nonprofit that's going to go rescue. Mm. And before you jump in, 
you need to learn the language around human trafficking. Mm. You need to understand the risks to your ministry and mission. And you need to have strategies that are sustainable. If you go into the community and we're going to join this team and we're going to volunteer and then you you run out of steam, mm. you know, biblical principle, count the cost. It actually tarnishes your reputation and your witness mm. in the community. If you do things that are actually illegal and you're not partnering. Mm. So this book gives you the language of the public sector and how it intersects biblically. Fantastic. Mm. And, and Sandy, I know when I first started learning, you know, hearing even the phrase human trafficking and learning about it, my impression was other side of the world, right? Oh. The people, it's all, all over there. And as I've gotten older and read more and done more, this is an enormous problem right in our backyard. Help people understand that this is not an other side of the world problem. This happens right in your backyard. I live in Orange County, California. And down the street from Vanguard University, there are um, cases of human trafficking that are both sex trafficking, commercial sexual exploitation of children, and labor trafficking. Mm. And, and, and that's true across the nation, but it's also in your um, supermarket, on the mm. shelves. Labor trafficking is probably, because we're extrapolating, you know, the victims don't raise their hands so that we can count them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but there's probably about three times as many labor trafficking victims as there are sex trafficking wow. victims. And when we take away someone's human rights and exploit them, that dehumanization mm-hmm. as a Christian, we need to stand up and be a voice. Oh, and yeah. I love the scripture, Proverbs 31, 8, um, because it says be a voice for those who have no voice. Mm-hmm. And then there's a semicolon, mm-hmm. not a period. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the thought is ensure justice for those being crushed. Wow. And mm-hmm. we, I believe the church is uniquely positioned to do prevention, to come on the scene for those being crushed before they become victims. Oh, amen. Hmm. I can tell you are a minister. You're a preacher of the gospel there. <laughs> 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 um, Sarah, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story. I mean, obviously you've dedicated a lot of your life to this. How did you even begin to get involved? Um, I was a young night nurse. We didn't even have human trafficking language. And I admitted a 14-year-old boy at 2 a.m. whose uh, family members were selling him for drugs Mm. so that they could support their substance use disorder. Mm. And I I started noticing those. So we've had these problems. We just didn't have a law until 2000. And then we were missionaries in Greece and... Um, when the Soviet Union collapsed and people had no jobs, they were very vulnerable. When someone said, we've got tourist industry jobs in Greece and girls came and were um, bought and sold in legal brothels. Mm-hmm. And I had to get involved. I had to do something. Wow. Yeah. 
Oh, that's great. Sandy, uh, obviously, step one we want people to do is to go get the yes. book. Uh, and we want yes. people to do that. But people listening right now go, what can I do? How do I even start this? What would you say, uh, step 1A, buy the book? What's 1B? How do people even start to care and start to get involved? Um, we have a, a, the mantra of the podcast that the book kind of came out of the Ending Human Trafficking podcast. Our mantra is study the issues, be a voice, make a difference. But if you start talking Mm. about it before you've studied it, you can say the wrong thing and do more harm. Mm. And you can do the wrong thing and do more harm than Mm. good. So your first thing is study. And when I started working with modern day versions of human trafficking in Greece, um, My first victim that I saw was a 12-year-old Albanian girl Mm. standing in the doorway of a legal brothel Mm. in a main plaza. I didn't go rush to do anything. It I I interviewed people. I went to the embassy. I talked to government officials. Mm. I found out what was happening in my public square, just Mm. like Paul did. Um, when he went to Mars Hill. That's so good. That's how Mm. the church needs to show up. Mm, That's so, so good. Thank you for that. Again, Dr. Sandra Morgan is the director of the Global Center for Women and Justice at Vanguard University. She's recognized globally as a leader in the fight against human trafficking. She hosts the Ending Human Trafficking podcast and has a brand new book out called Ending Human Trafficking. Sandy, before we let you go, where can people find and uh, follow all the things that you're doing? Well, um, you can follow me and my co-authors, Shane Moore and Kim Yim, on Facebook, Twitter, and um, Instagram. I don't know, all of those. Yeah, all the places. (laughs) Yeah, you can go to Amazon to order the book, or you can go to InterVarsity Press, and there's um, all kinds of links to find us online. We all have web pages. And if you are really interested in a centralized um, location that's easy, go to our Global Center webpage. It's gcwj.org. Is that simple? gcwa.org. That That is is simple. All right. Thank you so much. It was so fun to meet you guys. Thank you, Sandy. I'm going to have to call you up and invite you to be on my podcast oh we would love that that love would be to. so fun again dr sandy morgan we're so grateful that you've been with us check out her book ending human trafficking it's the end of the show and at the end of every show we love to bring you something encouraging or inspiring something to put a smile on your face brian there was a conversation on twitter which you know if you're going for twitter for your conversation points i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but there's a (laughs) lot of conversations that happen on twitter there's a pastor named aaron duval on twitter who just asked this question what is forgiveness who decides who gets it and does everyone deserve it i thought Mm. those were really good questions okay so lots of people had good responses but before we even hear from them have you? Do you have a definition for forgiveness? I, I, now, whether he said what is forgiveness, there are so many words in the English language, right, where we yeah. just kind of assume their meaning. Like I know what uh-huh. forgiveness is, but when you tell me define forgiveness, I'm like, that's a great question. Like I, I, forgiveness, it feels like wiping the slate clean. It feels mm-hmm. like removing the penalty. It feels yeah. like. Um, but it's certainly not forgetting, right? It's not forgive and no, forget. It's not forgetting. Yeah. So I, I would go with kind of that wiping of the slate clean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you? Where do you go with defining uh, forgive? Defining a I, word is so hard. 
It's not hard. I think I tend to similarly to you. I kind of go with that canceling of the debt uh, framework. Like, um, uh, you know, you feel like someone owes you something, mm-hmm. like because they've done a wrong against you, and so you're like, they owe me whatever it is, an apology. They owe me justice. They owe me like they need to make this right. Um, it's canceling that, right? It's like that person is never going to be able to forgive me or change. I'm going to let that debt go. But you're right. It's not a feeling. I think this is what's so important. Sometimes the feeling can come. That's right. Like you fake it till you make it. But it's it's a choice, right? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes what we have to remember, too, is that forgiveness can be a continued choice. Like you are choosing to forgive and let go sometimes day in and day out or sometimes season in and season out. It's not like this one and done. I forgive. I move on. Sometimes you're like, Oh, I got to forgive again, you know, and that can be hard. Okay. So Aaron Duvall asked this and, um, he's a, he's a pastor. So he's coming at this from a Christian perspective. Here's some people's responses. Uh, similarly to mine, forgiveness is canceling the debt of someone who either cannot or will not be able to repay it. It does not imply trust or continued relationship with said person. I I think that's super important. I think that is too. Why do you think that's so important, Brian? I, I think one of the great hindrances to us even being willing to offer forgiveness is this idea of like, okay, let's, let's take an easy example, right? Um, you've got a friend in your life who really hurts you and betrays you. Like, I mean, in a deep, deep, deep way, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know that ultimately you need to forgive that person and get to that point, but you want nothing to do with that person anymore. Like that relationship has been broken. And when we start to put those two together and say, if I offer this person forgiveness, that means we need to hang out on Fridays again. We need to do this. And I don't have any desire. That's not at all true. That's putting... You one does not have to go with the other. I can forgive you and say, I don't want to spend any time with you. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, it's not healthy for me. It's not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the relationship has been broken. Forgiveness That's can right. be offered without, uh, well, if, am I right about this? Re- without reconciliation. Yeah, I think so. To the mm-hmm. same level as before. Like uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean um, if you've been hurt in a deep way that you need to, or if you've been abused, let's say that yeah. you've suffered terrible abuse from a family member. It doesn't yeah. mean that you need to let that family member back in your life. In fact, that That's would be right. an unwise thing to do. That's right. And, and, uh, you know, which if you desire that, then that should take a lot of counseling and a lot of outside help. And it's not just some flippant thing. I forgive you. Let's come, you know, let's live mm-hmm. in the same house again. No, that's that would be terrible. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's such a good point, Brian. Somebody else on responding to this Twitter thread said, I would add that within a Christian framework, we are not exactly eliminating the debt, but we're turning to God and saying, I trust you can make whole what this person cannot or will not. And he added, our feelings of loss, pain, injustice are still validated, just redirected. I thought that was really, Mm. really kind of an interesting response. Then somebody else said, here's my working definition of forgiveness. Setting someone who has harmed you free from condemnation in your heart. Mm. That one was interesting, too. Um, And then somebody else said, forgiveness is deciding that you will desire the good of the person who wronged you and not exact revenge for what they did. And then he... he, uh, added that he preached a sermon on it and he added to, <laughs> he wants us all to pay attention to his sermon but yeah. i i think i think this is a really interesting um it's a really interesting conversation and and one point that somebody else made that i think is really worth us hearing this person is quoting someone named birdie i love birdie's definition of forgiveness one 
The forgiver decides who gets it because we haven't talked mm. about that yet. Who decides who gives forgiveness? The forgiver decides. And two, I don't know that anyone deserves forgiveness. And so forgiveness is really an act of grace. And so I think when we think about like when we think about God, Brian, God is the only one who can truly forgive us of our debts, of our sins. And um, though we don't deserve it because of God's grace, we are shown forgiveness that mm-hmm. we don't deserve. And so I do think, one, we need to be just like on our knees grateful that the only one who truly has the right to forgive us can and does willingly. And also that that is part of our impetus for forgiving others, like because we have been shown such a massive forgiveness in Jesus, who are we to withhold forgiveness from other people? I think that's that is the key to the conversation. Like, yeah. I do agree that the answer ultimately who gets to decide on forgiveness is the one who's been hurt. Yep. But on some level, the other answer is God decides and God has called us to forgive other people, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have, you know, who have hurt us. Um, And that doesn't, again, we throw that around flippantly. So I want to be very careful, but Mm -hmm. we do have to be honest that the Bible says, if you understand the level and depth that I have forgiven you, God says, then go forgive other people. Like it's going to manifest yeah. itself in you forgiving other people. There are parables about that. There is direct mm-hmm. teaching about that. That yeah. doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't yeah. mean that it's restored relationship to where it was before, whatever else it means. But I'm not sure we have the... um uh the invitation to say, I accept God's forgiveness, but I'm not going to be a forgiving person. I yeah. don't see that in the Bible no. again. So that takes work. That could be really hard, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think so. I do agree that who gets to decide on forgiveness is ultimately the person who's been hurt and has to offer the forgiveness, but I'm not sure we have the option not to. Good point, Brian. Yeah. For those of us who are in Christ, we do not have the option Mm -hmm. not to. I think that's exactly right. I'll never forget just to get really practical for a minute when it's when it's so hard to forgive, because there are people in your life that just like, I want to forgive them, but I don't know how. Yeah, Uh, I'll never forget Jerry Root, who did our he's a he was a professor at Wheaton, uh, C.S. Lewis scholar. He performed Kevin and I's marriage. I'll never forget this line. He said, when you struggle to forgive each other and you will, you go back to Jesus is unending pool of forgiveness and you ask Jesus to fill you up. Mm. And that to me has always been the key to forgiveness. Like, Lord, I don't have it within my my sin and my pride and my bitterness. Like, I don't have it in me to forgive, but I know that out of your forgiveness, out of your unending pool of forgiveness, I have the resources that I need by your Holy Spirit to forgive Kevin or forgive whoever right. to even ask for forgiveness. So Lord, would you fill me up You know, with your forgiveness that's supernatural and help me? Right. And I, I think that's the beautiful thing about forgiveness is because of what God has done for us, God also equips us by his Holy Spirit with the ability to forgive even when we don't feel like we can. Yeah, and ultimately, let's all linger on and think about and and just try to get our minds around the level of forgiveness we've been shown, the level of grace we've mm. been shown by our Heavenly Father through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we will celebrate next week at Amen. Easter. That becomes our fuel. Our fuel to be show grace is to recognize the grace we've been shown. Yeah. Oh, such a good word, Brian. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us today. We hope that encourages you. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. 60 hope for your life.